Lord Jesus, we give you these moments, Lord, our heart and our mind. We thank you for the privilege of hearing your word and recognize that it is powerful. Your scripture is so true. So, Lord, open this text to us here in this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Scott so faithfully does, I want to welcome the people out in the narthex. It's good to see you. Thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate uh, you being there. And uh, we are really working on it, I promise. In January, we're looking forward to having a new service that will hopefully help to alleviate some of the attendance issues and the pressure of our space. So, welcome. When I was in seminary, I served as a junior high and college director at a church in Southern California. A good friend of mine was the high school director at the same church. We worked a lot of hours trying to build those youth groups up and sort of develop a volunteer base for them. Well, after about four months, a senior pastor met with us and told us that he wanted us to stay on at that church long term. His solution was to develop two new associate pastor positions, pass that, or move that through the session so that in the following year there would be budget and there would be space for us to serve there. He wanted us to take those jobs. Well, that all sounded pretty exciting, I think. And uh, I met with the senior pastor a few times then to talk about this new position and took on several responsibilities that were associated with it. Well, in early spring, I was talking with this elder, and he started to say some things that led me to believe that the church might have uh, some financial struggles. So I set up an appointment with the senior pastor and asked him to level with me. He uh, confessed that they had been having financial trouble for quite some time, and that, in, in fact, back in January, they'd only been able to, um, to approve one of those associate pastor positions. There really was never, uh, there were never two positions uh, approved. And then sort of reaching across to me, putting his hand on my shoulder, he said, But Rich, you'll make a great associate pastor somewhere else. <laughs> I guess they were letting me go, you know. <laughs> Uh, but boy, I'll tell you, was that a letdown. You know, I felt like I'd invested so much in that church, and what they'd given me in return was heartbreak. They'd broken my heart. You know, I think we all know what it is like to be heartbroken at some point or another, to experience a sudden loss of a loved one or uh, of a career, or maybe to look back over our lives and to experience some sort of guilt or shame uh, Maybe over a relationship that we were entered into that we shouldn't have. Or maybe a shady deal that we were involved in. Or maybe it was an opportunity that we passed up because uh, we were afraid. Some of you this morning may feel broken, uh, broken-hearted because of emotional uh, brokenness. Experiencing trauma as a child or, or maybe trying to heal from a traumatic marriage. Maybe your brokenness this morning is a physical kind of brokenness as you're dealing with an injury or maybe an illness that, that won't go away. Or maybe your brokenness is spiritual this morning and, and you're feeling far from God, but you're wondering how in the world are you going to get back? You know what it is like to feel broken. And so did the woman in this story here today. In fact, our scripture describes her to us by her brokenness. She has no name. She's only described to us as what? As a sinner. And which in the original language carries the, the connotation that this woman was a prostitute, that she was the town prostitute. But when Jesus comes to town, this woman shows up. And what happens next is a healing journey for her. Her journey can be ours as well. It is the healing journey from trust to restoration to release. 
So let's look at that first step of the process, that first step of trust. Now, uh, this, uh, to the townspeople, this woman was uh, nothing more than a, than a tramp. She seduced all the men that she could uh, lay eyes on and, uh, and, and offered her services for a price. But something has happened to this woman. That kneeling at Jesus' feet, weeping, wiping his feet with her hair. She's a different woman. Verse 37 tells us that no longer is she a sinner. It tells us that she was a sinner. And there's only one way for that to have happened. That some point prior to this dinner party, this woman has met Jesus, taken him up at his word, and trusted him to set her free from the brokenness that her life as a prostitute has caused her. And she's trusted him with her life. And she's now a faithful follower of Jesus. Her tears then, as she kneels at his feet, are tears of joy, of, of devotion, of gratitude for what Christ has done for her. Because she understands so deeply what it is to be broken and spent in life. And that the first step towards freedom is reaching out and trusting in Jesus to set her free. Sometimes we can feel beat up or just plain beat in life, whatever your area of brokenness. And especially at those times, we can ask ourselves and want to try to figure out why it is we've ended up in the circumstance or the situation that we are in. Trusting in Jesus means a different perspective. You see, the Bible, as we, as we read through it, it gives us a different way of looking at life, a different way of looking at our life perspective, our, our life circumstances. It gives us a, a God-centered perspective so that we can view our circumstances in a new way based on what we know to be true about God. You see, oftentimes when we're going through a, an area or a, a situation where we're brokenhearted, we're asking ourselves, God, why did this happen? And I think in many ways, while we ask, all of us ask that question, I think it's the wrong question to ask. Because you see, what it does is it puts our circumstance at the center, and it leaves us to make assumptions about God based on what we're going through. So, in that place, having been passed up for a position in Southern California... I might come to the conclusion that God doesn't love me. In fact, he, he may not even care about me at all. Now, I think that the better question to ask is this one. What do I know about God that will guide me through my situation, my circumstances? You see, in this way, we establish a God-centeredness. That uh, based on what we know to be true about God, that God is faithful, that God is just, that God does care about us, then we count on God to act in our present and in our future in a way that is consistent with who God is. And that brings us hope. So, having lost a, a position in Southern California... I start with what I know to be true about God, that he is faithful, that he does care about me. And so the assumptions I might come to might be something like, God may have a better deal for me somewhere. You see the difference? Now, that's hard to imagine when we're in the circumstance, but it's true. It's very true. The journey for the brokenhearted 
for, to healing, it starts with trust. Trusting in what we know to be true about God and then counting on God to act in our present and in our future in a way that is consistent with who God is. That is the ultimate act of trust. Now, uh, returning to our story, this woman may have put off her life of prostitution, but you know, the townspeople still knew her as a sinner. It was a label that she'd been given. And uh, in effect, what this label did was, was socially isolate her from the people of the community, all the people except for the men who were willing to pay for her uh, to be intimate with her. Uh, so what Jesus does in this passage is, is something entirely different. Everyone uh, knew, you see, that this woman was a prostitute. Everyone treated her as a prostitute. But Jesus changed all that, having already set this woman free from the debt of her sin, liberating her in that way. And that having happened before dinner, now at dinner, what Jesus does is offer the words of restoration in a way that everyone could hear by saying to her and to all those around, you are forgiven. In saying these words, Jesus is, in effect, renaming her. No longer is she a sinner. She's forgiven. And in saying that, Jesus restores her dignity. Now the townspeople have to drop the label that they have for her. And they have to welcome her back into the community. So with four beautiful, simple words, Jesus renames this woman and he restores her to the life of the community that has pushed her away. The good news for the brokenhearted is that Jesus heals and Jesus restores. I had a friend in my last church who had uh, two daughters that were about the same ages as my daughters, just a, a little bit older, actually. And uh, he, was a, he was a doctor. He was our family physician. He delivered two of our children. He and his family had a home over at Lake Chelan, and on weekends he liked to fly over there just to spend some time. Well, one night I got a panicked phone call from his wife. His plane was missing. It had been caught in a storm, and no one had heard from him for hours. I went over to sort of pull an all-nighter with her, and we prayed together and waited, but we heard no word. Day after day went by, and still nothing from search and rescue. And I will never forget the day when we were sitting together then, my wife's friend and these two daughters, and the phone call came with the traumatic news that the plane wreckage had been found and my friend was dead. It was horrible. The months that passed for her were dark, dark months. She tried coming to church, but church just reminded her of the times when the whole family was together. It was just too painful. And so she stopped coming. I'd stop by and we'd talk. We'd talk about a lot of things. we pray sometimes, but most times she wasn't interested. It's not that she was wandering away from God. It was just that she needed to see God in some way. Well, a few years passed, and the senior pastor of our church at that time was leading a trip to the Holy Land. A friend of hers encouraged her to go. Maybe she'd see God. Well, she agreed, and you know, it was the best thing that she could have done. In there in the Holy Land, she met Jesus in a new way. Her faith was revitalized, and she met a man who was a member of our church and who'd lost his wife to cancer about a year and a half before. I knew him very well. He had two sons. 
And when they were married 10 months later, it felt a lot like the Brady Bunch, you know, everybody sort of coming together. But it was a powerful moment. The whole church showed up. It was healing for all of us. God had taken the broken pieces of their lives and lifted them up to a place where now everything was new. You see, trusting in, in the Lord means sort of counting on God to act in a way that is consistent with his character. Trust for them meant just praying for God to help. It meant hanging in there and persevering in some way until the moment when God could bring them to restoration. In Jerusalem, that meant finding a deeper love for God. In Mill Creek, Washington, that meant finding the gift of one another. The last thing that Jesus does for the woman in this story is that he releases her. Now, he releases her from condemnation. He releases her from having to make a bunch of excuses about her actions. But he releases her with these words. He says, go. And so she goes. It's probably one of the most overlooked parts of this passage is, go. He releases her. No one who experiences freedom and restoration in their lives can sit still any longer. That going into our community or going into our world, carrying the impact of what Jesus has done in our lives is simply the heartbeat of the Christian faith. It's not what Jesus has delivered this woman from that matters so much. It's what Jesus has uh, released her for, released her to. She's been released to love and to give her life away in service for others. And my friends, when we connect with that, when we experience that kind of release, well, then our healing becomes complete. I have a friend uh, who went with uh, this church on a short-term mission trip. And uh, one morning he was asked to share a testimony to a group of street kids. About 200 or 300 kids showed up that day. Uh, Some of them had been sniffing glue. Others of them had been drinking alcohol. They were kind of a rambunctious group. So my friend began to share. And he started by talking about his own brokenness. These kids knew brokenness. They were all from broken homes. And then he talked about how coming from a broken home, he'd he'd fallen into taking drugs and and living a life of drugs and alcohol. And these kids knew all about that. They knew what it was like to feel pain so severe that all they wanted to do was self-medicate in order to, to sort of put it aside and not have to deal with it. And then my friend began to share about how that, that life had bankrupted him and landed him right on the streets. And those kids knew what it was like to be on the streets. Then my friend began to share about Jesus and about how this overwhelming love had filled his life. And more than that, that God was calling him to a life of obedience, a life that ultimately set him free from drugs and alcohol and got him off the streets. Well, it was a modern parable of the prodigal son. After he'd shared his testimony, a sermon was given and then an invitation to these kids to come and meet Jesus Christ, to give their lives to Jesus. Fifty students, or fifty kids came forward. Fifty. Saying yes to Jesus. Coming home to Jesus. Well, a few weeks ago, my friend got an email from this agency that uh, they'd served with. And the agency told uh, my friend that two of the girls that had come forward that morning were now moving into an apartment. They'd stayed off the streets. Their lives were changed. And you know what's happening? 
my friend, is finding all kinds of ways to talk about Jesus with other people. He's found ways to, new ways to give his life away and to serve others. It's been amazing for him. Trusting in the character of God who ultimately holds our present and our future in his hands leads us to a place where we are restored, where God can build something new out of the ashes of our lives. And then from that place, God releases us to love others and to give ourselves away in service to others. As we enter this Jubilee year, I believe that one of the dreams that God dreams for us is that we would be a people who heal the brokenhearted. It would mean doing as Jesus has done for the woman in this passage and what Jesus has ultimately done for each one of us, inviting us to trust him, uh, setting us free by uh, uh, restoring us, and then releasing us to love. After my meeting with a senior pastor in Southern California, I turned to the parish associate in that church who'd taken me along his side and, or take, and, and mentored me through the course of that year. He invited my wife over and we, began, we shared our story with he and his wife. And you know, uh, they encouraged us, they affirmed us, they were Jesus to us. And somewhere in that conversation, they pointed us towards Seattle. They said, you know, God is doing a lot of great things in Seattle. You ought to think about going up there. Well, the next day I went over to Fuller Seminary where I was attending and I went to the job board and there's this position for an associate pastor position in Mill Creek, Washington. Well, three and a half months after I uh, left the church in Southern California, I was the associate pastor of a new church in Mill Creek, Washington. I couldn't have asked for a better deal. It was a tremendous church. You know, this couple, by reaching out to us and inviting us to trust in them, allowed them to be Jesus to us. And then through that, God put us into a place in that church where he was able to restore us and then release us for ministry. The good news of the story that we have read here today is that the brokenhearted get healed. That's you and that's me. But God's jubilee dream is much bigger than us. It includes our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people who are on the sidelines of the culture that we live in, like the woman of this story. Who will be the Jesus of the story to them? The truth is that we need the brokenhearted just as much as they need us. Because when we partner with God in this journey of healing from trust to restoration to release, then we find that ultimately we're the ones that get healed the most. When we bring Jesus to the brokenhearted, we find Jesus. And that's not something we want to miss out on. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your healing touch in our lives, that you do release us. You, 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 through an act of trust, restore us. And then you set us free to love and you set us free to serve others. Lord God, would you have your way with us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.